from a day on the river. We're ready for uh, some wading and getting into some mud. To a day at the winery. So we, we actually label this wine as a dry table wine. Now when you taste it, it is quite dry. From the bay houses. You have a 360 degree panoramic view of open salt marsh, which is just, just breathtaking. To lighthouses. This is for the public to enjoy. It's a National Historic Landmark. There's a reason why this needs to be saved. Last season on Higher Ground, we traveled around Long Island to find out how communities are adapting to climate change. You know what happens? It's in your veins. The salt runs through your veins. Once you're addicted uh, to the salt life, you really you can't get away from it. You could never take me away from this environment. Long Islanders are a coastal people, but as we learned, that coast is becoming a risky place to be. This season, we'll be taking a trip just an hour north by ferry across Long Island Sound to another coastal place that's dealing with its own climate challenges. Welcome to Connecticut. This is Higher Ground from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Sabrina Garone. This season, host J.D. Allen is setting up home base in Connecticut's largest city, Bridgeport. It's also one of the youngest places in an aging state. Last season, together, we learned from high school student Amelia Brandamarty in Mastic Beach that young people want climate action. Our infrastructure needs to totally change because our infrastructure is not sustainable as it is. Amelia's passion for the environment got us thinking about season two of Higher Ground. Young people here are going to experience climate change throughout their lifetimes. And we wanted to find out how they can already see the global climate crisis in their neighborhoods and what solutions they might be able to identify. Exploring these solutions might give their home the best chance at survival and help save coastal places where millions of people call home. That and more is coming up next after this. WSHU, the station you know, trust, and count on, is more relevant than ever. I'm WSHU and American Homefront Project reporter Desiree DiOrio. Your support has enabled us to deliver what you need at a moment's notice, wherever you happen to be. We can tell stories that really matter, connecting facts and revealing the truths you need. Thank you for listening and supporting WSHU Public Radio. We're stronger together. Almost all of Connecticut's coastline runs along Long Island Sound. Forests, marshlands, and mountains, the state has unique natural landscapes, all being threatened by the changing climate and rising sea levels. So just like Long Island, climate change here has presented challenges for coastal communities. But unlike its suburban neighbor to the south, Connecticut has cities. I live in a small seaside village of Port Jefferson on the north shore of Long Island, but I often work at WSHU's studios in Connecticut, an hourish ferry ride away. Between the New York side and the Connecticut side, the Sound's coastal communities are home to about 4 million people. Shellfish, sharks, birds, seals, the occasional whale, this body of water is home to lots of wildlife too. And while it looks like the ocean, technically it's one of the region's largest estuaries. That's a place where salt water from the ocean meets fresh water from rivers. And that's what makes estuaries one of the most productive ecosystems on Earth. The ferry from Long Island docks in Connecticut's largest city, Bridgeport. It's home to about 150,000 people, including myself at one point for a couple years post-college. 
And while Port Jeff and Bridgeport are only about 19 miles apart across Long Island Sound, they couldn't be more different. There's just a greater density of people here. There's a lot more impervious cover. We have rivers coming in and there's a big influx of sewage here. That's Long Island Soundkeeper Bill Lucy. He probably knows the sound better than anyone since it's literally his job to monitor these waters. He picks us up in a patrol boat at Bridgeport's Black Rock Harbor. I knew about Bridgeport as being one of the areas that has typically been ignored as far as pollution. Um, you've got air quality issues. There's a lot of industrial stuff going on here. Um, and I knew the water quality uh, wasn't great here. So when I had the invitation to come up here, it's like, let's go right into one of the most challenged harbors, challenged body of waters in Long Island Sound is Bridgeport Harbor and Black Rock Harbor. And we're joined by one of his interns, Jeanette Awal, a high school student in Bridgeport. There was definitely a big like difference between Bridgeport and Port Jeff over there. You can just immediately see it in the water. Like here, you just see like the water's more like cloudy and murky and like it's not it doesn't seem that great of water. But then when you get over there, it's like it's really beautiful. Like it's 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 kind of much more like vibrant I guess and again it's just a, it's a matter of how many people per square mile you have a lot of sewage that's generated in that it's all coming here so um, that's why you see a lot of difference in water quality because they all need houses to live in which have roads going to them and the houses and the roads don't absorb water. They all use toilets and it's got to go somewhere. But it's not just the infrastructure. The economic differences are also pretty obvious. Bridgeport, um, you don't see like these big houses, these big yachts here, but over there that's like pretty much all that you saw right there along the coastline. And that's what sets Bridgeport apart from other places in Fairfield County, too. It's Connecticut's wealthiest region, home to famously exclusive communities like Greenwich, Westport, and Darien. With shipbuilding and whaling in the mid-19th century, Bridgeport would eventually become a manufacturing hub. But by the 1980s, many of those jobs moved overseas, and the closure of Bryant Electric, one of Bridgeport's largest employers at the time, is credited as the beginning of the city's economic downfall. But Bridgeport has its gems too. Between all that abandoned industry is actually a whole lot of parks. In fact, that's how Bridgeport earned itself a nickname, the Park City. Everybody says, oh yeah, I want to leave Connecticut, I want to leave Bridgeport. But then sometimes you just, in your daily life, you just find something beautiful about Bridgeport, even though the city isn't like, so, like outside people would call it beautiful, but it's like beautiful to you. I don't know, you just enjoy having to walk along like the sand, walk along like the ocean, stuff like that. This season will explore Bridgeport's industrial past through signs of pollution and efforts to remediate the Park City. That work is being done by the city, grassroots community groups, and the soundkeeper, Bill Lucy. And in environmental justice advocate Katherine Morris. It's the Park City for a reason. It's gorgeous. You'll find a lot of greenery in select spaces. She made it her mission back in high school to draw attention to Bridgeport's green space. I moved to the west end of Bridgeport. I went to Bassett High School, go Lions, and there we were living in this like kind of six-family duplex apartment and there was like one tree in the front yard, maybe one in the backyard, you know, but it, there was no grass in the backyard or anything like that. 
and the sidewalks were littered in a way that was like very frustrating to me because I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And while Bridgeport may be known as the Park City, Catherine says these green spaces don't really get a lot of use. I would notice, you know, even in the summer times, it was really just sitting on the porch. Like that was kind of the extent of it, maybe going for a walk maybe taking a long walk to find that one little swing set playground area that's like next to that one bodega over there and that was kind of the extent of it stay where you're safe stay where i know you're safe that is inside my house you know uh, and it's not necessarily, there's no sense of like freedom to go to these parks. Like Seaside Park, Bridgeport's main access to the beach. But that beach access is not the easiest to, well, access. It's surrounded by an incinerator, a power plant, and a whole bunch of other industrial stuff. And who wants to sit on the beach when the water and the air are polluted? Again, there's not that sense of comfort and culture of like, yeah, run free in the park. I trust that you'll be fine. I know where you are, you're a stone's throw away, you're good. So I think that has a lot of lasting impacts in terms of people's connection or lack thereof to nature. Catherine and Jeanette, they are examples of young people in Connecticut's largest city who have gone on to become environmental activists. This season, we've teamed up with a group of even younger student scientists in Bridgeport. The pollution that exists today is the environment where these young people are growing up. We are putting the microphones in their hands this season to tell their story. Right now, but it works. You can play around. So, you know, it's on because the red light's on. Um, so if you ever don't want And all from Bridgeport, they have questions about what's changing in their own neighborhoods. One minute, it'd be like 60, 70 degrees outside. Then when you blink, it's like 30 degrees. It's so weird. You shouldn't rely on things like fossil fuels that are like, killing us slowly. We get taught about climate change. We know about the damages that it will eventually do, but some grown-ups now don't even know what climate change is or what they could do to help. Together with our student scientists and their teacher, over the season we'll identify the signs of climate change and what we can do about them. This whole thing is on uh, both sides. I will tell you, we do have a family of red-tailed hawks in the area. Yeah. Oh my god, I've yeah. seen a hawk in my neighborhood, right? It was on my street, actually. The hawk attacked a small bird. Yep. I just witnessed murder. <laughs> um, it's the circle of life, that's what is. they do. The bird I saw kind of looked like a cardinal. And it's the students' ideas about the changing environment that will guide us on our journey around the region. Join us as we explore solutions that might give their home the best chance at survival and help save coastal places beyond their city. Where millions of people call home. It's stupid that big corporations are doing more to help prevent uh, our Earth dying because their factories and their work is probably what's contributing most to the pollution everywhere. Even if everybody were to do little to nothing, it would change at least something. is reported and produced by Sabrina Garone and me, J.D. Allen, with editing from Harriet Jones. Molly Ingram helped with the mixing. Samantha Simon, Melanie Formosa, and Megan Briggs did fact-checking and research. Music is composed by Samuel Davies and Aria Elon. Graphic art by Joshua Joseph. 
This podcast was made possible by the Joan Gantz Cooney Center and the Sesame Workshop. Higher Ground is a production of WSHU Public Radio. The next episode is available wherever you get your podcasts.